My name is Annie Hodnett, and I am very passionate about supervised agricultural experiences. Now, as someone who got to partake in FFA and learn more about the agricultural industry through her own supervised agricultural experience, I've seen the work that it can do for FFA members and the impact that it has on the agricultural industry, which is why I'm excited to start this podcast, SAEs in the FFA. Through this podcast, we are going to be interviewing FFA members all across the nation and learn more about their SAE project and how we can start our own and what makes a successful project successful. Through this podcast, we are going to be highlighting FFA members and the impact that their SAEs have on the future of agriculture and the agricultural industry. Without further ado, we are going to interview our very first guest today. Hannah Salm is actually a friend of mine and she is from Ohio and she has a forestry FFA project. Now, I'm super excited to interview her, so let's give it over to Hannah. Hannah, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself and what your SAE is? Yeah, so hi, everybody. Um, As Annie said, my name is Hannah Som, and I am from Ohio. Um, I'm from a really, really small town called Amanda. I'm from the Amanda Clear Creek FFA chapter. Um, So currently, I am a junior in high school, and like Annie said, I have a forestry SAE, um, and I also have all kinds of other SAEs. So I'm super excited to be on here with Annie. We got to meet about a year and a half ago. Um, Shout out to her. She's a super cool person. So I'm just thrilled to be here today. Hannah, you are seriously so sweet. I am excited to be here as well. And I am excited to dive more into your SAEs. So I know that we both talked about your forestry SAEs. And like you said, you have a lot of different other ones. So can you give us a wide range of what you do for your SAE projects and kind of fill us in on a little bit of those? Yeah, of course. So I live on a family farm, which means that I have a multitude of different options and things available for me when it comes to SAEs. So my first SAE is my dairy goat project. Um, We raise about uh, 20 head of dairy goats. We have Sonnens and Nigerian dwarfs that we get to show not only within the state of Ohio, but sometimes we get to venture a little bit around the country. Um, I also show market goats at my county fair. At one point in time, um, when I first started out, I was breeding rabbits. And then I also get to work on the farm, not just with the Christmas trees, but also throughout the year with some of our different vegetables and fruit production. Um, so that would me look like me picking corn. Um, thankfully, I got out of doing that a little bit this year, but working farmers markets. Um, and then also we have pumpkins. So I get to do a little bit of that. And then, of course, probably one of my main ones is my forestry. So I live on a Christmas tree farm. So I get to deal with all different kinds of growing and then the selling of the trees. My favorite holiday is Christmas. So when we talked a little, a couple months ago about how you do a forestry project and you sell Christmas trees, my world lit up. That is, and I love Christmas, you know, because everyone's together and the cool lights. But I mean, Christmas tree selling as a forest, as an SAE project, that is so cool. That is unheard of in New Mexico because we don't have a lot of trees. So <laughs> that's, right, right, yeah. Just a slight <laughs> problem, you know. Just a little bit. So it is so cool to hear about all of those different projects. And 
the goats also sounded amazing and super cool. And I'm also glad that you got out of a little bit of corn picking this year. Um, I've never picked corn before, but that looks challenging, especially since I'm five, four and probably couldn't see over the cornfields. So yeah, it's definitely a struggle sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure. Do you guys have like a pair of like muck boots that have heels on them that you can see over the corn or sadly we do not um I wish we did because it would be a lot easier there's definitely times where I'm walking through I'm like okay I hope everybody's wearing a neon t-shirt today because otherwise I have no idea where you're at um make a lot of noise maybe we can play some Marco Polo like (laughs) that is great maybe maybe we can maybe we can convince someone to make like heeled muck boots I think that that would be amazing that'd be so cool oh my god that would be amazing but I have a feeling that then I would like trip and fall somehow so (laughs) I don't know there would be definitely positive and negatives there you go um so reason we're here today your forestry SAE project um how did you get that started Right. So really, I've worked on the Christmas tree farm since um, as long as I can remember. Now, I wasn't necessarily working the whole time. I might have considered it working. Um, But I was very fortunate in the fact that my family has grown Christmas trees since around 1980. Um, So I was born into the farm. um, But it was definitely a little bit of a struggle to get the project started because I didn't know a whole lot about SAEs at the time, the different things that I would need to document, and really how much I would need to document the growth as time went on. Yeah, that is totally crazy to get an SAE project started. Um, But once you probably got it started and got it up and running, that that must be such a cool project to get to go and look into. I I wish I could go and experience it for myself. Um, But are you, have you like grown a passion for this SAE project? Have you grown a passion for growing, for growing and selling Christmas trees? What has that been like for you? Right. So definitely over time, I've grown to love it a lot more and realize the importance that it has in my life. You know, I used to just kind of see it as like a thing our family did, and I didn't really get too into it. Um, But especially now within the past few years, really since I've started it as an SAE project, I started to reflect a little bit more on it. Um, And now I get to run the cash register full time, which means that I interact with every single person that buys a tree, they talk to me. So that's definitely a really interesting experience because there'll be families that come up with young kids and talk about they just love it and this is a tradition that they're going to start. Or people who have been coming here for 25 or 30 years telling me that they just love the farm. They've got to watch me grow up um, and just kind of see the changes that have happened on the farm while still supporting us. So I've definitely grown a fondness for growing Christmas trees. I will admit sometimes the work isn't always my favorite part. Um, But that hard work that kind of goes on behind the scenes is definitely what makes it so special. I know there's nothing quite like walking out of your house and just seeing the Christmas trees covered in snow and then getting to meet customers who are just so excited to celebrate Christmas time and all that comes along with it. That that is so cool. That is getting to hear these experiences and getting to see why you're so passionate about it makes my makes my heart shine. That is so cool. Um, with all of those great things and all those interesting things about starting this SAE and getting to work with your family, what has been the most interesting thing you've gotten to do? Ooh, most interesting thing that I've got to do. Um, oh, I have to think about this for a second. This might be hard. Probably the time that they sent me out in the field to help someone else find the perfect Christmas tree. So a little background to this story. This is like 
our second or third week that we're open and we had a lot of business this year and almost all of our trees were gone and I'm not kidding like there are maybe 20 or 30 of this variety of tree left in the whole field so then they send me out to like go try and find the perfect tree let me tell you that was a very interesting experience um I was walking through the field for like an hour and I'd point to a tree and be like well what about this one no it's too lopsided on this side I'd be like okay so then we keep walking and keep walking and eventually we started talking um, to each other about ourselves a little less about trees and more about ourselves but eventually like an hour later we finally found what would end up being the perfect tree um, and then their kids showed up and their kids had a family and they wanted a perfect tree so then we went out and found another perfect tree for them so that was definitely an interesting experience because I had no idea when I was sent outside to measure a tree that it would end up being an hour later that I would come back in with two perfect Christmas trees um, and knowing a lot more about those two families than what I originally realized I would. That is so, that is giving me flashback vibes to watching um, the Griswold Family Christmas. Is that what it's called? I think mm -hmm. it is that movie where they go out and they're like finding that tree and then they get stuck under a semi I mean that sounds interesting to me <laughs> um but that that's that's just exactly what I envision when you're talking about finding this perfect tree hopefully it wasn't too big for their house whatever they got home like the Griswolds was but your tree perfect picking skills that's a that's a tongue twister um hopefully your skills were able to go out and find the perfect tree for this family because that sounds like an amazing time so with all of the awesome cool stories that you've had and with getting to see all of these families light up and getting to see the snow on these trees what has been the most challenging part about getting this SAE started so I think there's definitely a lot of different challenges that I've had to overcome throughout the years. Um, probably one of the hardest was overcoming some of the adversity that I had seen. Um, working on a family farm is always great and amazing, but sometimes there's a few downfalls that people don't always realize. Um, only being 16 and being the baby of the family, a lot of times your ideas can be passed up um, and not necessarily um, really considered as much as they would for some of the other family members. So that could be very frustrating for me when I'm the one who interacts with customers all day, every day, and someone else is trying to dictate how I do things. So I know for me, that was really hard. And also sometimes our customers not believing that I had the experience necessary to help them. Um, there are a few days when I would spend my time outside, which would mean that I would have to pick up the trees, place them on a shaker, which shakes out any of the dead needles and any foreign objects that might have ended up in the tree one way or another, and then wrap it up with string. And a lot of times the customers will ask me, you know, are you really sure that you can do that by yourself? Do you need me to help you? Um, so just some things like that. So I know it's definitely been hard for me to learn to use my voice and speak up around my family because they're people that I've grown up with and really respected. But at the same time, I kind of want that respect back and want them to just listen to my ideas. So I know that that's definitely been something that I've had to overcome um, once I really started my SAE and starting to get more involved. Those do sound like huge challenges. And sometimes um, trying to get the respect that we deserve is a little challenging, especially around family members that watched you grow up, you know? So sometimes those battles and fights for um, the respect in the family and trying to get our ideas out there can be a little challenging. 
Um, but you were also a state proficiency winner in Ohio for your forestry SAE, correct? Yes, I was. Yep. That is so cool. I feel like I am in the presence of a celebrity right now. I really do. And it's, this is totally over zoom right now. Um, but I still feel like I should be, oh my gosh, I feel like I need your autograph. (laughs) So walk me through the process of these growing the Christmas trees. How long does it take? Um, and what does it look like to get these trees ready to sell? Right. So really the process, um, to go back to the beginning, we have to go back about 10 years from now um, before we get to the tree that we have today. So when we get the trees, they're usually between 12 to 16 inches and we go through and plant them. Um, Usually we use a tractor and someone sits on the back of the tractor and puts them in the ground. However, I have the wonderful job of going through the trees that were planted the year before, finding all of the dead ones and hand planting the new ones. So that is what I get to spend my March and April doing for about Um, a week or two, depending on how many trees we have and kind of what the weather is, is going out and hand planting them. After that happens, we spend the summer months mowing all of the trees. So as you can imagine, that can become a tedious job because you're continuously going to have to keep going around. And you know, by the time that you get done, you think, okay, I have a break. And then you realize it's been three weeks since you mowed one of the patches. So you have to go right back out there. Um, So from that point, every year we go out and we shape the trees using um, a really, really large knife is basically what it is. And you go out and you have to shape the trees to make sure that they're that perfect cone shape that everyone is looking for. Um, Depending on the varieties of some of the trees, they actually get sprayed with almost a paint um, that kind of alters the color a little bit. Um, So a lot of the Christmas trees that are grown throughout the United States might not be the exact color that you think they are. Um, So that's definitely something that we have to keep up with. And then just the constant weed pulling throughout the year. Um, There's always a weed to be pulled. (laughs) And then really um, we apply fertilizer about once or twice a year, depending on the variety. And then just general upkeep of just, you know, walking through the trees, making sure that everything is on course. None of the trees are dying assessing for any diseases and then checking the soil occasionally just to make sure that the trees are still fit for growing season. So really from the time they're planted until the Christmas that you can cut it down is like 10 years. So that is a really long process. So some of the trees, I don't even remember them being planted, but they're being cut down now. So it's kind of crazy to think how long that process takes and all the maintenance that the tree has to have throughout its life. I have never thought that a Christmas tree would take 10 years to grow. I mean, I didn't just imagine that they would get like planted in January and then cut down in November, December, but 10 years to grow a Christmas tree, that seems absolutely insane. So that sounds like you have a lot of time invested into those projects. With being a state proficiency winner, I know that you have to go through kind of a long process to get into that. So can you tell us the pro- what is the process like in Ohio? How did you get it? And what did you have to go through so you made sure that your SAE looked perfect to get this award? Right. So really, I started looking at a proficiency award my freshman year of high school. I was kind of bugging my FFA advisor, like, what is this? What do I need to do? Exactly what happens? Um, So here in the state of Ohio, proficiency award applications are due at the end of January. Um, So I started working on filling out my actual application about November. 
I will be honest with you. I potentially procrastinated a very long time before I really went through the whole application process. So for me, what that application process looked like was reviewing some old proficiency award applications from my chapter. And when I say old, I mean like 1984 old, but it was really a struggle for me at first because we really haven't had anybody fill out proficiencies in recent years for my chapter. So that was definitely hard for me to figure out exactly what I needed to do, the wording that I needed to go through. So eventually I kind of got that worked out. There were a lot of late nights that I would go up to my dad and I would say, so I have this question on my application and I need help of how to make it sound good. Um, so there were definitely a lot of times where I would sit there and kind of be like, well, I don't really know exactly what to say. Finally, what I figured out was just be honest, share my experiences. For me, that took a lot of time for me to reflect. Um, some of the questions were, what's the greatest challenge you've faced? What's a challenge that you've overcome? Um, and what's something that you're proud of? Beforehand, I never really thought a whole lot about that. And I really didn't think that it would be asked. So definitely that proficiency award gave me the time to kind of sit back, reflect, and just take everything in, take in the project and everything that I had accomplished. Um, a huge part of that was taking pictures and making captions to prove that you're actually doing that work, which I know for me was definitely pretty funny because the pictures were real life pictures. So there's a picture of me laying flooring. Um, there's a picture of me pushing a cart. There's a picture of me carrying a tree on like December 26th that we were getting ready to burn. Um, little did I know that those pictures would actually be played during state convention. Um, so I didn't know until they were played. However, they were very real life pictures. So I had my mismatched outfit that was on. Um, the Again, the picture of me on the floor. Definitely not the most flattering pictures in the world, but they were out there for all of Ohio FFA to see. I must admit the process was kind of it was kind of tough at first because I really didn't know what to expect um, or really how to do it. And I remember the night that proficiency awards were due, I had a basketball game um, that I was cheering for. My basketball game ended around 8.30 or 9 and my parents and I were getting ready to go out to eat. And then I get a text from my advisor. You still have something to fill out on your proficiency award and it's due in three hours. And I was like, what? So there was a section that didn't have a checklist to it, but it still needed updated. So for me, that was intense. I skipped out on the dinner. <laughs> I went straight home um, and I definitely had to take a moment to kind of like breathe. So there was that, which definitely became hard. Um, after that, I submitted my application and heard back a few weeks later that I was going to be one of the finalists in the state. After that, what happened was I got interviewed um, at the very beginning of April. So I sat down in a 10 minute interview with, I believe, four or five different judges via Zoom. And I just kind of explained my project, went a little bit over my application and just talked about some of the good and bad times that I'd experienced. Um, so once that happened, I had to wait a whole month, which felt like the longest month of my life, um, to finally hear results. So I found out my results during our state convention in May. Um, that was definitely a crazy experience, you know, being on a Zoom call. And then the next thing you know, your name is flashed. 
and I kind of blocked out for a second. <laughs> Don't really remember exactly what happened next, other than I remember seeing the not-so-flattering pictures of me come scrolling across the screen, and then I went to yell at my ag teacher for not telling me that was going to happen. Um, so that was definitely crazy. They just laughed at me and told me that I should have known. Um, so there are definitely some highlights. It definitely can be a hard process, but it's definitely very rewarding in the end. Even if you don't win, you still get a lot of feedback from judges. And it's a really great experience. You know, you learn how to fill out an application. You learn how to interview um, and just kind of explain some different things that are going on in your life. That is so cool. The FFA is just always providing members with those opportunities to stand on stage and be embarrassing with those mismatched outfits and all of those pictures glory and the opportunity that you had to be able to stand in front of the judge and tell them why you believe that you deserve this and just to get to show off your hard work. Those are, that is just absolutely incredible. And I think that that is just a true testament of why the FFA is one of America's greatest youth organizations. So you talk all about being on a family farm and Hannah, your story is absolutely amazing with your FFA roots and your family. Can you please tell us just a little bit more about that and your family roots with FFA? Yes, of course. So this is something, um, FFA is definitely something that runs through my family, which when I first joined FFA, I didn't really know a whole lot about until one day we were kind of cleaning out the closet the next thing I know, I come across a banquet script from 1979. So I was kind of like, well, what is this? Um, so come to find out, my dad was actually president of our FFA chapter in the year 1979, and it was his old banquet script. So to me, that was just insane. Little did I know the story really didn't stop there. So as I got more involved, I started to learn more and more about some of the different projects that my dad did. And then my grandparents live right across the road and I would always go visit with them and tell them a little bit about what was going on. Well, then eventually my grandpa brought up, well, you know, at one point I was in FFA and I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. So then they were cleaning out their basement, and the next thing I know, they're pulling out plaques and medals and different papers and certificates that my grandpa had gotten. Um, I actually now currently have his FFA jacket in my possession, which is kind of insane because the jacket is from 1957. Let me tell you, back then the jackets were a little bit more purple than they were blue, but you know, we make it work. They're still pretty close, um, but that was crazy. And then actually, it goes back even before that. My great-grandfather um, actually was in high school before FFA started. However, because of the Smith-Hughes Act, he was actually able to take part in agricultural education. So I have a certificate listing the amount of hours of agricultural education he took in high school. So to me, it's just kind of crazy as to how far my roots run in FFA, um, a lot of things that I might not have first realized or even known to ask about. But since I joined um, the FFA organization, I've gotten to connect a little bit more with my dad and grandpa and just kind of learn a little bit more about a family tradition that I didn't necessarily know that I was carrying on um, right at the beginning. That is, that is so cool. Um, getting to just be a part of a family farm and getting to see FFA and the traditions continuing to live on today. That is 
those are the things that set my heart on fire and um, getting to have a few texts back and forth. I've gotten to see the pictures of these jackets and the medals and they are so cool. And your story is just so inspiring. And those are the kind of things that just make you wake up and realize that you get to be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And you get to serve an industry and you get to serve the people of America in vast ways even outside of FFA, even outside of Christmas tree selling, even outside of picking corn. That is just absolutely amazing. Um, so I, just to kind of wrap it up, I just have this one last question for you. Can you give us some advice for maybe new FFA members or maybe someone wanting to start a new SAE? Can you give us some advice on what it takes to start one or some helpful hints that you have? Yeah, so definitely the thing that I'm going to be uh, say is don't be afraid to jump in headfirst. I know for me, when I started FA, FFA and SAEs, it was kind of a scary moment just because I didn't know exactly what to expect, what would be expected of me, and just the general overview. I really had no idea of what I was doing. Um, so I think definitely if you're looking to start an SAE, don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone. A lot of times, um, you know, I'm very fortunate in the fact that my SAEs, I can walk out of my house and they're right there. But for the majority of FFA members across America, that's not necessarily the case. So sometimes, you know, you really have to step outside of your comfort zone and try a few new things, whether that's a recycling program, working at a local agriculture store that before you really knew nothing about, or just talking to your ag teachers about some of the different ideas that they might have. Um, I know it's definitely scary at first because, again, you have no idea what you're doing. But I think ultimately the best thing that you can do is just jump in head first and put in the hard work and eventually everything will start to pay off. That is amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in for this first ever podcast. Thank you again, Hannah, for coming in and sharing your story of FFA and family traditions. Um, we are super excited to hear you and listen to your story. And we hope that this story ends up inspiring some future FFA members. Um, so thank you again so much for joining us. And thank you guys for listening in. We will have a new podcast out soon. And we are excited to start this tradition. Thank you, guys. Thank you.